My name is Dorsey Atkinson. I'm the pastor of LifeSpring Church, and I'm glad that you're here today at the Wesley campus. We just finished up a service over at the Langston campus on the other side of town beside Ogeechee Tech Technical College. I guess we're just always right beside colleges, and that's, that's where we're functioning. Um, couple of things that we're covering. We're, we're in a, a message series now that we're talking about parables in the Bible. And in talking about parables in the Bible, I've been breaking them down and explaining them to us, to individuals, so we can better understand them and apply them. Now, as we do this today, I, 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 and I'm preparing for something, I was going to switch to a different message series in, a, in the next week. But I think I'm going to run off of the Matthew part. So we're going to be talking about Matthew, the book of Matthew, particularly chapters 23, 24, 25 over the next couple of weeks. But I want to talk to you about chapter 25 today. But before I do that, I want to talk to you about a period of time in my life. Now, I want you to think back to when you were either in middle school, elementary school, middle school, high school, or even college. And I want you to think back to some of the, one of those teachers or professors who was one of those out-of-the-box teachers, one of those people who helped you to understand things in a way that you didn't know that you could understand. Now, I'm not talking about just talking, teaching you by the book. You understand what I'm talking about? Teaching by They went outside of the book and taught you in a way that there was things that they taught you that you can carry with you now that has changed and made you into the individual that you are now. Have anybody have a teacher that was that influential in their life that was out of the box teaching? You know, they, they maybe they let you try things that you wouldn't normally try. They, they would be the teacher to say it's okay to color outside the lines if you're one of those people who were an outside the lines colorer like myself. Well, they would let you try things, you know. There was one teacher in one of my children's lives that, um, the, the, the one, the, I'm not going to say which, which, which one of my children it was, but one of them, they were in a class, and one teacher was very structured, and they kept them in their seat. You can't get up, you can't get down, you've got to do it every structure. You understand what I'm talking about? You just do everything by structure. And this, my child did very poorly in there. He's a terrible, well, I just told you it was one or two of my children because I only got... He's a, it was Chris, it was Chris, I'm just going to say it, but he was a terrible, he was a terrible student, he couldn't do this, he was just a, a, an agitation, he was just, he was irritable, it was just, it was just not a good relationship, he's just awful, awful, awful. And then he had this, across the hallway, he had this other teacher in another block that he had, who was like creative, I guess you would say. She had a bathtub, you know how you do your reading area or whatever, she had a big bathtub in her reading area, and you could, and she had like, like pillows and things like that and fuzzy stuff and all. And you could lay in the, in the bathtub with a pillow and, 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 and read if you wanted to. And she said, your son is one of the best students I've got. That he's just, he's, 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 he's very creative and all this. And I'm like, have you two talked to each other, two teachers? You know, how do y'all get this? Because they were just different teaching methods. So some of us have things that when we're taught these things, it affect us deeply and, and differently and it, and, it, and it ties into who we are. So I had a teacher who happened to be my baseball coach in high school. His name was Ernie Fall. And, and I had him for baseball for two or three years. I, I played baseball as a sophomore, junior, and senior on the varsity team. And I had him all during those times, and he was my coach. And he was hard. I mean, he, we ran, we done stuff. I mean, I, I, I played outfield, and he would have me chase balls. I run into the outfield fence so many times but on some of the drills that he would did it, done with us and all. He was hard, but he was my physics teacher my first semester of my senior year. 
And I'm like, oh, this is going to be awful because he's just so hard. Well, anyway, we got into the classroom, and he's teaching us all this knowledge and this understanding and this information from the physics side of things. But he was one that, for me, affected me because he had an applicable side. Now, in chemistry, I had a lab. So you had a chemistry and you had a lab. You had time to do lab work. You know, in chemistry, you read about the chemicals, you study about the chemicals, you memorize the chemicals, and then you mix the stuff together and you do the chemical stuff. In anatomy class, we learned about anatomy, learned about things, and then you went and you did your hands-on application of dissecting a frog, dissecting an earthworm, dissecting a keck, depending on what level you were at in that, in that, in that series. And then for physics, I'm thinking there is no lab work. It's just memorization. It's just formulas. But I found out wrong. So one day he was teaching us the Pythagorean theorem. Now, how many of you in this room know the the Pythagorean theorem? Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because the ones that don't raise their hands, I'm going to tell you what a seventh grade teacher told me one time. If you don't know what the Pythagorean theorem is, then you're dumber than a scarecrow. And the reason is because that's the first words out of the scarecrow's mouth in the old-timey Wizard of Oz movie. When he got his brain, he said one part of the Pythagorean theorem. When two legs of an isosceles triangle are squared and added together, they will equal the hypotenuse squared. See, that's why I really know it, because I don't want to be dumber than a scarecrow. Now, if you're dumber than a scarecrow here today, it's okay. There's a place for you out in the field with your arms up like that, scaring off birds and all. I'm just teasing. But So the Pythagorean theorem we're studying, we're all like, oh, we know this, we know this, we know this. And so Ernie, Coach Fall, said, I tell you what, you guys, I'm tired of you not paying attention, so here's what we're going to do. I want you to take a protractor. Does everybody know what a protractor is? Do you have a picture of a protractor to show them? You know what a protractor is? You remember that? Some of you don't remember that. So a protractor, I want you to take a protractor out of your desk, get your calculators. I want you to take, come up here and get a piece of string, and I want you to get one of these nuts. And I want you to go out to the football field. And for the rest of this class, you can work independently or together, but I want you to tell me when you come back in how tall the goalposts are on that field. Now get out there. Now at first we were thinking, that's all right, that's an impossible task to do. You can't do that. And it's going to be, I'm a senior, it's like, woohoo, free day. He said, by the way, you're going to be graded on this. Oh, crap. Because now you're worried about your transcripts going to a college you're trying to get into and all that. You understand? So we go out there and none of us. We sit there and we could not figure out. We couldn't figure out. So the next day we come in, how many of you got the answer? How tall is it? And none of us knew. We actually had thought about sneaking out there that night and taking a tape measure and going to measure. That would be cheating, I know. But we thought about it. But we couldn't find a tape measure high enough to get to the top of the goalpost. So that was kind of hard. So... We didn't know. He said, well, you got a failing grade. Now, he actually didn't give us a failing grade. He said, we're going to go out there and we're going to do this. So he took us out there and we went to the football field. And he says, we stood in the middle, like in the, the emblem, the South Orion Raider was right there in the middle. We're on the 50-yard line. He says, which one do you want to measure? And we're like, <laughs> we don't know. And so he said, well, let's measure that one down there. And he says, how far is it from here to the end zone? How many yards is it from the 50-yard line to the end zone? How many yards is it from the 50-yard line to the end zone for you scarecrows out here? It is 50 yards. And how far is it to the backside of the end zone for, non-football, for football players? How far is it? 
10 yards. So how far is it to the back of the end zone where the field goal post is planted, if you say planted? 60 yards. He said, so now you know one part of it. Now he said, take your string and tie it onto the nut. So we tied the string onto the nut. And then I don't know if you noticed, but even in this picture right here, do you see this part right here? There's a hole in all the compasses or all the protractors. He said, tie that string to the other end on the top of that. So we tied the string at the bottom of that protractor because it's like six inches there. And then he turned it over. And we just made a plumb bob. And then he took that thing and he pointed it, he tilted it up like this and he pointed it at the top of the field goal post and pointed the other at the 50-yard line. And when that string hung down because of that weight of that nut on it, now you had an angle. And then it was just a matter of calculations. Changed my life forever. Changed my life because I took stuff and I'm going, oh, you could really use this stuff. You could. So it created in me a part where I'm creatively trying to learn and understand and do things. You understand what I'm saying? Because on that thing, you had the Pythagorean theorem. We knew it was 60 yards, double that. You had an angle, used a cosine, calculated up, knew the height of the goal. And so it changed me. Now, I think that Jesus was that type of teacher. Now, I think he could hang with the people and the, the professors that was all in the lounge and, and the college and they're all sitting there and they're doing their brain stuff. You know, they just around and think about things all day long i think he could hang with them and he had conversation with them in fact many times he would sit in the temple and he would talk with them have conversations they would ask him questions they would debate on things they would discuss these things about what the scriptures say about how you're supposed to live as a follower of god how are you supposed to live in this world and be a good person and live and do the things that you're supposed to do and they would discuss these things. Now, the religious leaders had created and interpreted these things to say, it's about following the rules. It's about learning the rules, memorizing the rules, and following the rules. And that's true to a point if you're following the right rules. And the other part is if you can't take the rules that you've got and apply them to a simple thing of telling you how tall a field goal post is, then what good are those rules? And so... I think Jesus used parables to teach people, to help them understand, to help it make a life change in them so they would go out and be able to live this thing and have an understanding of this depth of the Scripture of understanding what God is wanting them to do. So one day Jesus is in the temple. And him and his disciples had been there. It's a regular place they go. They may have went on a daily basis when they were in Jerusalem. But they were there at the temple. And because they were there at the temple, Jesus had started becoming, having a crowd around him. People would start gathering around him. And as he was there, he began to talk with them and ask them different things. Or they'd ask him. The religious leaders talked to him. And they finished their discussion for the day. And they're headed home or wherever they're going to camp that night. As they're heading out of town, they come by some of these big structures. You know, Jerusalem was the big city, if you will. It was the Atlanta or the metropolis, if you will. And they were, the disciples walking by and they're going, man... Would you just look at all those great big stones there? Look at all these big things here. Look how big and magnificent this whole structure is. And Jesus like, I'm telling you one day, not one of these stones will be left on top of the other. They'll be, come, they'll be down on the ground. And so as they started this, it began a discussion with them about when's this going to happen. You, you, you're God's son. You know this. When's this going to happen? What's it going to be like? What's it going to be? And so he begins to teach them. And through 
the eyes of Matthew in chapter 22, 23, and 24, or 23, 24, and 25, we begin to see him teach about what the end is going to be like. But more importantly than what the end is going to be like, it's like it was the understanding is implied in there of what we need to be doing when the end's going to come. He's more saying, I, I know the end's going to come, and you need to understand the end's going to come, and it's really going to happen, but you need to know what you need to be doing before that time. Because this time, is, it's, that's a given. You can't do anything about that, but what you can do about is this over here, what you're living and doing right now. And so he begins to tell them a couple stories. One of those stories about what the kingdom of heaven is like, I'm about to tell you now. Jesus says this. There was a man. Now this is a story. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants to the kingdom of heaven or what this end times is going to look like or a portion of this end times is going to look like this is like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold. Now, in, in scriptures it's translated talents, Okay? talents. Now, now, I put it to bags of gold because talents sort of kind of hard. I'm not talking about your tap dancing talent or your guitar talent. It's a talent was a standard of weight to determine what something weighed or to measure something. So in their culture, it varied from different nation to nation. A talent, in a Roman sense, might weigh 70 pounds. So that's the word for... So they say a talent would be a chunk, 70 pounds. For the Babylonians, it might be 84 pounds. And for some groups, it might be 130. So somewhere between the ranges of 70 pounds and 130 is what the talent weighed. You just need to know which country or which denominations use it. You understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? But instead of going into all that, we're just going to talk about bags of gold. So to one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, he gave two bags of gold. And to the next one, he gave one bag of gold. And he gave it to each of them, or he didn't give it to them. He entrusted his wealth to each of them, five, two, and one, according to, what does it say? Their ability. Now, ability is a strange word. Ability means something. Ability could mean you have the propensity or the capacity to handle something. You may have the skill set. To handle something but ability you, you just may have the, the potential to, to handle it but if but the ability means if I'm giving you can you be my five person Nicole you're gonna be my five person you are now dun, 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 five talent person welcome five talent person here today so the master gives her five talents of gold or five bags of gold based on her ability who do I want to pick on over here? John, you want to be my two-talent person? He's my two-talent. Give a hand up, two-talent person. Now, John, he gave two talents of gold, two big bags of gold, possibly 260 pounds of gold, because the talents are up to 130, 260, you got it? Right? According to his ability. And then old Thomas back there. Oh, yeah, you know I was going to get you, Thomas. Yeah. Thomas, he gave him one bag of gold. Now, here's the thing about it. You're my servant, you're my servant, you're my... Oh, give it up for one talent man. I'm sorry about that. So I got five talent, two talent, one time. So one talent. So as he gave these things up, he entrusted 
his wealth to them. And then he left. As he left, this is what it says that happens then. The man who had five, received five bags of gold, or one man who received five bags of gold, went at once and did what? Put, help me, was it up there? Put his money was it, to work and did what? So five talent man put the money to work and gained how many more? Great job. Good job. Give it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good job. And then, the, so also the one with two bags of gold gained two more bags of gold. So how many has he got now? There you go. Yeah, good job. Then one talent man back there who had received one went off, dug a hole in the ground, thank goodness, and hid his master's money. So Tom, while they're working and doing this, Thomas is out there making a treasure map. Thomas is out there counting one, two, three, mark the X, dig a hole. That's where he's, he's, he's hiding it. Now, all of these are servants. All of these are fine people. All of them are the servants of this guy. So I'm proud of them for being a servant, but they just handle things a little differently. Then it says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Now, I just want you to help me understand. What does settled accounts mean? Paid them? Got their money back? When you settle your accounts with people you owe money to, or you got, what, how, what does that mean? You get, you get cleared up? What if I borrow money from the bank and they want to settle accounts with me? What does that mean? I got to pay them up. It's due. So it, what this is saying is that these things that he was given or he entrusted with these individuals, they were responsible for, but whose is it still? The man or the master. And he says one day there's going to come a time when he comes to settle up. Now let's just go back. Jesus is talking about the end of times. And he's talking about this period of time when there's going to be a come a time when each one of us were giving things to us according to our abilities, according to the way that we can handle things. If you've been given five, it's because you can handle five. I think or believe in you enough to give you five because I believe you have the ability to do five. I give you enough, John, to do two because I think that's what you can do. And I give it up to you, one talent man, because I think that's what you can do. It doesn't mean that you're twice as good as him or you're five times as good as him. It just means that's where you are in your part with me right now as my servant that I'm giving you that according to your ability. Doesn't mean you're better than the other or worse than the other. But I want you to understand this. What it does mean is you're one of my servants because I did not give it to those knuckleheads out there that aren't my servants. Truth. I'm just not walking up to random strangers and saying, here's part of my wealth. I'll be back a little bit, watch after it. Who would do that? Some of you would. I've seen you. Hey, could you watch my pocketbook? I'm going to the bathroom for a minute. You don't even know who the person is sitting at the bar beside you or something. Huh? You give your card to the guy, you know, give you this and that. You, you don't even think about it. Would you watch it? You're just assuming they have an honest faith. I tell you what, some of the stuff that we do in the South and some of the stuff that we do in this small town called Statesboro, you do this in Atlanta or New York or Chicago, you're going home about some money. Because <laughs> them people will smile at you. They'll take it. That's not who he gave it to. He gave it to people who were his servants. But he comes back and he said on the counts. The man who received five bags of gold brought the other five. This is what he said. Master, so we're going to call him master. You entrusted me with five bags of gold. 
Here you go. And see, I've got five more. Which means how much does I have in my hands as I'm giving it back to them? Ten. So five talent person has now turned into ten talent person. Correct? And then the master says this. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've got to read this with me. This is big. His master replied. Just read it with me. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That is a great, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'm going to put you in charge a lot. Come on in here and have a good time. It's time to party. Yay. Then comes two talent person or two bag old person. And he says, Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold, and I have two more. And his master said this. Read this with me. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Is that sentence any different to him with two bags than it was to her with five? It's irrelevant of how much you bring to me. I'm proud of both of you. I'm thankful for both of you. You did what I was expecting of both of you, right? It's not about the amount. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Add a girls and add a boys. We all want this. God is wanting to give us all add boys and add a girls for what he's given us as we bring it back. And then comes old Mr. Thomas who snaps his suspenders and comes on in there. Now Thomas... He's got dirt on his boots and dirt on his knees. You know why? He had to go out and dig that gold up. He had to count off how many, because Thomas is one of them like, now where did I write down where I put that stuff? So he might have been looking for two or three days, and he comes up. <laughs> he just figured that out. So then the man with one bag of gold, now Thomas, I know this isn't you, but I'm using it as an illustration. He says, Master, I knew you were a hard man. You harvest where you have not sown. You gather where you have not scattered seeds. So, what does that say? I was afraid. And I went out and I hid the gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Now, his master gets this. So you're thinking, man, what a great thing. He did not lose what he was given. He got, he, you know, 130 pounds of gold is a lot. And he didn't lose it. Now, I don't know how long the master was gone, but it said it was a long time. So for a long time, he's had responsibility for this, and he just put it in a hole and hid it. And all that time, he's thinking, I've done the right thing. My master's hard. He gathers where he doesn't sow, and he reaps where he doesn't scatter. My master's hard, so this is the right thing to do, because if I've got a hard master, I don't want to lose anything of his. And he just buries it. And his master says this, You wicked, lazy servant, so that you knew that I harvest where I not sown and I gather where I not scattered, well then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with some interest. Now there's something you need to understand really quickly. This is taking your protractor and turning it upside down with a string and a thing and measuring the field goal. This is going to put things together. Right here you learn that the master gave each one of them something 
and was anticipating and looking for more in return. Would you agree with that? That's what he was wanting. I don't care if you call him hard. I don't care if you call him mean. I don't care. If you're one of my servants and you've been given something, I'm expecting something in return. If you don't know what to do, go find somebody who does know what to do. You understand? When he says go find a banker, they know what to do with gold. You don't know what to do with gold. Ricky's sitting here holding this baby. You don't know how to handle a baby? Go get a book and find out. You go find somebody. You get around a daddy that does. Now, he does know what he's doing. Look at him. And Nicole knows exactly what she's doing because she's sitting there going, I'm not holding it right now. Because I'm five, she said I'm five-talent girl. That's right. <laughs> but I want you to catch a couple of things. Things that we know about the master. Number one, he has wealth and he entrusts it to his servants. That's one thing we know from this story. He entrusted it to them even for a long period of time. So time is not an issue. How long am I going to let you have it? Oh, I've got to have it back in two weeks. I've got to have it back in three days. He knows each servant's ability. That's five. That's two. That's one. Imagine what would have happened if five would have buried theirs and brought five back. I'm imagining he would have said the exact same words that he said the one talent. It's not about the amount that you buried. It's about you didn't do something with it. So God knows our ability. He knows our talents, our talents, our skills, and our giftedness. God knows each of our individual capacities or our potential. And God knows our competence. What we could do if given the chance. He distributes the wealth based on individuals, not based on a group. So God distributes things to you based on you, not based on what your grandma did, not based on what your grandpa did, not even who you married. He gives according to you. And one day he comes to settle accounts. But here's something else I want you to realize. To these two right here, The master said, well done, good and faithful servant. Say that with me. Well done, good and faithful servant. Three things is used to describe that person or that individual. Good, faithful, servant. But to the one talent person, he said, you wicked, lazy servant. So I'm just going to look at the differences here. First of all, We can throw the word servant out because servant doesn't just get it. Servant is in the wicked one and the lazy one as well as servant is in the good, well done, good and faithful, right? Then I look at the first word, good, and I look at the first word of the other, wicked. So there's a difference between good and wicked. I can understand that good is good and wicked is bad. I can understand that's opposite. But when I see that next phrase... Faithful versus lazy. See, there's people in this world who say, I just don't have the faith. I I, I don't have the faith to do what God's calling me to do. That's not the word he used. He didn't say, good and faithful servant, and over here, you wicked and unfaithful servant. He said, lazy servant. Inferring, that's you, Thomas. (laughs) Inferring, you're lazy. You're lazy. 
See, some of us in this room say, I just don't have the faith. I'm saying, you're lazy because you don't stretch your faith. Well, I'm not saying it. That's what this is saying. I'm just reading it, right? How many of us in this world have failed to do something because we felt like we didn't have enough faith? I don't have enough faith in myself. I don't have enough faith in my boyfriend. I don't have enough faith in my daughter or husband. I don't have a faith in my mama or daddy. I don't have enough faith in my ability. I don't have enough. And all of this, you're lazy. You can call it unfaithful all you want to. I'm telling you, you're lazy based on what this is saying. Because you have the ability to do something. You have the potential to do something, but you don't. So the question becomes is, why don't we do it? Why are we given things and we're responsible for them? Why are we given valuable things of God and we don't do something with it? Especially for those in the church. That's the result, is you're lazy. But why are you lazy? That's the result. But the bottom line of what this says, and this scripture says, It's not because you don't know the master. He says, I understand the master. I knew that you were a hard man. I don't care if you call God hard. I don't care if you call him unfair. I I I don't care what you call God. The question is, why don't you listen? If you're going to claim to be a servant. Because of what? Who said it? Fear. I was afraid. And that speaks to every one of us in this room. Every one of us have made decisions out of fear. And it's cost us. It's cost us in relationships. It's cost us in our finances. It's costing us. I'm afraid I can't do this. I'm afraid that she won't do this. I'm afraid that he won't do this. I'm afraid of what they will think. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, afraid. And so what we do is we end up digging a hole and burying what God has given us. And for some of you, that's your very life. It's your very life. Some of you, and it's been me in my day, isn't about going and digging something up and getting out. It's about digging our way out of where we've gotten. We have put ourselves in a hole. And we've dug it so deep, we've lost every bit of confidence that we have in ourselves and most especially in God. And we're just hoping for the day that He will come and raise us up out of this and everything will be good. And I'm afraid you're going to get a surprise. Because you think that's digging and sticking your head in a hole and hiding from what God has given you and what your failures are. It doesn't matter. Let me tell you something. These, these people that took five and went to ten and the one that took two and took it to four, doesn't mean they did it on the first shot. You don't know. It was a long time. It could have been a bad economic market. It could have been something else. They could have made bad investments. But whatever they had left, they never quit until the master came back and it just happened to be doubled but this person over here who's buried and covered up and called himself a servant you got to dig out to even get to judgment and then this council is going to be settled and then what are you going to do you can't do anything about it and so this master says You know what? You take him and you throw him out of here and grab that bag of gold right there because it ain't going with him. And you give it to the one who has... I want you to look at this. How many do they have? Say it again. I thought they gave it back to the master. I thought 
that we just read it and it said, here's the five that you gave me, and here's five more. I, how many do I have? I give it back to the master. He's like, I'm not going to let you take it. You keep that baby because you know what to do with it. And in fact, when I take that from him, you really can handle 11. Because see, when we do what God calls us, we grow, we mature, we develop, and we learn to do things and trust God in a way that takes us out of the hole that we're in and out of the holes that we've been in, and we begin to trust and we begin to do things according to the way we know him to be. It's not about whether he's hard or not. It's not whether it's fair or not. No, it's not fair some of the crap that's happened in your life. No, it's not fair some of the decisions you made not. No, it's not fair, but that's no excuse. The environment that you're in, the situations that you're in are no excuse for not doing the best that you can with what God has given you. Now, I want you to do this for me real quick. Take in a deep breath and breathe out. One more time. And breathe out. Who gave you that breath? God. And what are you doing with it? <laughs> and what are you living for? There's some of us that's living in a hole. There's some of us that's letting fear control everything that we are and who we are. I live in that state. I live in a constant state of fear. It's just the truth. I'm afraid of what you're going to think or what you're going to say or what, what's going to happen if I do something. Who am I going to offend? What did I do? Who did I tick off? I'm always asking my wife at the end of the message, who did I tick off today? I'm sure I stepped on somebody. I'm sure I said something. I go out anywhere. I'm worried about what you think about what I'm wearing, even though it might be the only clothes I've got, but I'm more worried about what you got and think about what I'm wearing and how I'm dressed, and I'll go out and spend money that I don't have to buy something to try to meet up to a standard of you instead of making a difference in the world. I'll buy a bigger house. I've bought bigger cars. I've done, I've, I've got, I, I'm afraid I can't be seen as any value unless I have something, so I go borrow everything i got, and I'm up into this high in mortgages and bills and debts just to be able so I can live up to your standard and all that time I'm digging myself in a hole and I get to a point I'm afraid to do anything anymore I'm afraid sometimes that I've done good things and, and, I, and I've done things I help people get help them out give them something loved on them encouraged them forgave them and then they didn't give me anything back in return and then I think that the object is is for me to get something back in return by giving out this love or this grace or this forgiveness that I've been given and then I get to the everything has to be proportional if I don't get something back then it's not worth investing and so then I start to analyze and say, well, that's not worth investing in. I'll never get my money back until I don't do anything. I dig myself in a hole, and I don't take chances anymore. We started this church 10 years ago, and I preached this message. And I went and I preached it not only at this church, and I preached it at two or three revivals. And I did what Ernie Fall taught me in my physics class. Sometimes you can know it up here, but doing it is a whole different thing. So I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think that you have this concept down? Yes or no? I mean, if you feel like you have the understanding of what I taught today, raise your hand. Just want to see it. If you don't, raise your hand. See, one way or the other, you should have raised your hand. You understand? You either raise it, I do, or I either don't. All right, for you lukewarm people, then anybody don't, I can't make up my mind, do I know or don't know? Okay, so all right, here's what the deal is. We're going to do an experiment right now. 
We're gonna, you ready? We're going to go out. We're going we're to go out. We're going to measure a field goal post. You ready? All right, reach underneath your chair and there's an envelope. Pull that envelope out. Right, it's right underneath your legs. Reach underneath there. Every chair has an envelope underneath it. Pull out that envelope. You should be able to find it. Everybody see it? Now, when you get that envelope, pull it out. I want you to open it up. Has everybody got it? All right, here's your experiment, and here's what we're going to do. I have been given the responsibility and entrusted with the responsibility as an elder of the United Methodist Church to further the kingdom of God through the campuses and the churches that I'm responsible for teaching and preaching in and handling the sacraments of the church. Part of that is handling the finances as well. And what I've just done is given you a portion of our resources that we have as a church to do ministry. Because I'm not five-talent person. I've never felt like five-talent person. I wish one day to be two-talent person, but I'm one-talent person. I know in my heart I'm just one talent. I want to be more, but I'm just one. But here's what I do know from what I heard in this story. If I don't know what to do, then I need to find somebody else that does. If I can't figure it out, then I need to find somebody else that does. And here's what I'm doing to you today and including you on my journey. Inside that envelope, you've been given $5. And I'm challenging you to take this, this what I call the 5-2-1 challenge based on the five talents, the two talents, one talent. Over the next three weeks... I want you to take this $5. And I'm giving it to you according to your abilities. And some of you may be more than five-talent person. One of them may be handle 10, maybe 20. There's more envelopes back there or up here. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to prayerfully take what you've been given. And I want you to think about how do I increase it to further the kingdom of God. Now, some of you are going to go, this is a piece of cake. I'm just going to put a 20 in there. You know, here's the deal. When I was six years old, $5 was like $5 million. Now that I'm 56 years old, I leave $5 tips when the service is terrible. It's just $5. So you can take it either way you want to, or you can take this the way you do as a six-year-old and go, let me, let me see what I can do. So I want you to take this $5 and I want you to think and pray about how you can use that, how you can increase that to further the kingdom of God. Now some of you are going, this is the craziest thing I ever heard. Well, yeah, it is. But there's a test on it. At the end of three year, weeks, you're going to be graded on this. We're going to see how you do. Let me tell you some examples. Like I said, I did this several years ago. Preached it in a setting like this. Preached it at three revivals. Over the course of... A year and a half, I gave out something along the lines of $1,800 in $5 bills. That's a lot of $5 bills, by the way. Okay? And I challenged people to do the same things. Gave them a return envelope, they could mail it back. When we did this, several of them, here's, a, here's one that was posted here. I don't know what's going on with my microphone, Eric. I'm not... 
<laughs> on my beard. All right. So when I did this, there was several girls in the congregation. They come up to me afterwards, and they said, Lindsay, were you here when this happened? Okay. Were you one of those? You weren't one. Were you? Okay. Um, huh? She didn't talk to people back then. Then we put her on the stage, and she talks all the time now. So, so what we did, they said, well, we were thinking about there's a tailgate. The people tailgate at Georgia Southern. We thought about what if we take this $5 and put our $5 together, the three of us put them together. That's $15. We'll buy some cake batter or some cookie bicks, and we'll make some cookies, put them in gladdy bags, go sell them at a tailgate party and give them money. I'm like, That's a great idea. In fact, here's four more envelopes, which is another $20. And I said, I'll come and help you in my $5. So the 20 plus my 5 is 25 plus their 15 is $40. So for $40, we went out, bought cookie dough, all that stuff. We went to their house. We made cookies. We made cakes. We cut the slices of cake up. We put them in bags. They come up, and then we're coming up that Saturday. They made signs, and they were all this texting going on, cookies for Christ and all this stuff. And we met at the rack to go walk around, because you know people tailgate at the rack, and so we met at the rack, and we're going to walk around and go everywhere, and so we're, we're walking from the rack, because there weren't many people there at that time, and we're walking up that little trail that the band walks on up there to get to the football stadium, and during that time, all three of those girls started saying, oh, I don't know if we can do this, we, 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 this, is, this is stupid, maybe it'd just be better if we gave $20, <laughs> This is, I don't want to go, I don't, want, I don't like to talk to people. I don't talk to people. And I said, nope, we're going to go do this. Now, I'm afraid too. You understand what I'm saying? I, I mean, I'm afraid. I, I, I've only been here a little while. I don't even know anybody at tailgate, but here we go. And so we're going around and we start just, so I just am Dorsey. You, you understand what I'm saying? I didn't do anything else. Just was Dorsey. Well, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Hey, would you like some cookies? We got some great deals on some cookies right here. We made them. We're trying to raise some money for the church. You know, would you like a cookie? Well, you don't have a dollar here. Take a bag of cookies anyway. You look like you need a cookie. Matter of fact, you want to try one of these cookies? These cookies are pretty good. How about a piece of cake? Who are you and where are you from? I'm like, oh, we're just doing some cookies. And all of a sudden, people started to give a dollar here, give a dollar there. I'd give a bag of cookies and a little gladdy bag to somebody, and they say, well, I don't have any money. I said, take them anyway. You look like you need them. Here, take two bags. They wandered off. We go down and walk three more rows down, and somebody comes running up. Hey, 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 here's $20 for those cookies. I said, no, you ain't got to do that. I gave them to you. No, 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 I want to give that to you. And we kept going. Now, by the way, that's where I learned what a jello shot was, too, on that trip. <laughs> because as we went to one of these tailgates, they had these little cups with little squares of jello in it, and they said, well, you're giving us something. Let us give you something. I'm like, well, okay. And, and all the three girls are going, no, preacher, don't, don't. You know, I'm like, I'm like, whoa, that's pretty good there. Could I have another? I mean, uh, we took that $40 and turned it into $135. There was a student here who played guitar. He took his $5, bought a guitar string, so it must have been a long time ago for it to only be a... Went up to the Daily Grind and played for two hours, collected $40 in his little guitar case and turned that in had a couple from Dublin who were in a choir, a husband and wife in a choir. And they couldn't figure out what to do. And they sent me the letter and told me this. And they said they decided they taped the five, they, uh, safety pinned the $5 bill to their pocket and went to work that day. They both worked in different places. 
They just walked around all day, didn't think, didn't think and somebody come up and say, hey, uh, what's that $5 bill on your pocket for? They said, give me a dollar and I'll tell you. And people gave them a dollar. <laughs> they ended up collecting $22 from their 10. They sent a letter back. They sent in the $10 and said, hey, here's your $10. Here's $12 more. And we had another $10. We turned, we turned that into nothing but, but nets. Because for $10, we could put several nets in, in, in Africa to fight malaria, mosquito netting. There's stories like these that are inside of you. Now, again, you could just put a $20 bill in it and send it back, or you could, you, could, you could just stick it in your Bible. By the way, four years after one of those messages, the envelope comes back, $5 bill and a $20 bill and a note. We're so sorry we forgot about this. We found it in our Bible, and we didn't want to let this go to waste, so we're sending it back to you. Now, again, we, we were furthering the kingdom, so I had one that sent one and said, I've run into a guy who didn't have any food, and I gave him this $5, and I gave him $5 more of my money to pay for his food. Now, to me, that's kingdom work, right? So what can you do? When you get creative, what can two or three of you do when you get creative? What can you do if you took this as a good experiment and say for three weeks, what could I do? Because you know what? If I, if I double it from five to ten this week, the question is going to be, am I going to sit there and bury it for the next two weeks before I turn it in? Or can I take the ten and make it into twenty? Because remember this person here, when they went to five and they made it to ten, they become... No longer five-talent person, they're ten-talent. In fact, I think you can handle 11. What would happen if you as an individual, you as couples, you as friends, were to take this and apply this principle and see what it does with the dollars? See what it does with this money, because I'm going to tell you that over the next couple of weeks, we're going to transfer that to see what it will do when you start getting involved in small groups. When you start taking risks and inviting people, when you start having a conversation with people, when you start caring for people, when you start forgiving people, when you start loving people where they are, you just help them to take the next steps. Maybe this could be the experiment that brings some of the gospel home to us and changes us for the rest of our life. So that's your challenge. If you want more envelopes, there's some back there. If you don't, it, there's actually in a chair beside you. You can take them. We have no way of identifying. All we're going to do is count up. We know that we got $600 worth of envelopes. And we're just going to count how many of them we got left, and then we'll go from there. But if you want more, if you think you can handle more, if you think God's laying out, take them. Make a difference. Is everybody cool with that? that may, is everybody cool with that? Yeah. Everybody excited? See, you were, real, you were real fired up at the beginning of church now. I'm the only pastor that's giving you $5 to come to church, right? <laughs> Nobody else giving you $5 to come. Hey, man, I went to that church. See, right there, next week, there'll be another 25, 30 people here. Man, I heard you had $5. Yeah, but I'll get it. I don't... It's going to be a great week, great two weeks, and a great three weeks. And I'm looking for some of the creativity out of you that God has given you with your abilities. Let's pray.